Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the motivation for serving God as we pick up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Much of what we do for God, again in quotes, is really done for our own glory or honor or benefit or recognition. God does not recognize your works of the flesh. That means that a lot of people are going to be totally wiped out as far as rewards go. For the motivation behind their works or service for God was all wrong. Now, it is tragic that so many times we are motivated by ministers to works of the flesh. I was in a conference in the denomination where I was once serving the Lord, where the supervisor came before the ministers and he said, now we know that motivating people through competition is carnal. But it's time we face the fact that the majority of the people we minister to are carnal and thus we must use carnal motivation. And so we're going to have a great contest in which we want each of you pastors to challenge another pastor in his church to an attendance contest and get this competitive thing going. Put up a comparative kind of a graph on the platform, and at 10 o'clock, one church calls the other, how many did you have this morning? And you give the number, and you put up their number, and then you put up your number, and you get the people all stirred through competition to beat the other church. And then one of his cronies, by prearrangement, stood up and said, that's a tremendous idea, but I make a motion that our whole division challenge another division to a contest. And another crony, by prearrangement, stood up and said, marvelous, I second the motion. Whipping them into a frenzy, the superintendent said, all in favor, stand to your feet. And they all stood but me. (laughs) And some of the other young ministers that I've been in some of the sidewalk seminars with, seeing me sit down, sat down also. So after the meeting, the superintendent called me. And he began to talk to me about rebellion (laughs) and cooperation and things of that nature. And I said to him, well, let me tell you that I am really in a quandary over this. Because when you introduced the whole concept of competition, you yourself admitted that it was carnal motivation, but that we had to recognize that most of our people were carnal, and thus we needed to use carnal motivation. I said, I don't think that I agree with that in principle. I don't think that we should come down to their level, but we should seek to 
stay on a higher level and lift them to a higher level of relationship where they don't need carnal motivation. But I said, the thing that bothered me even more than that is that then you went ahead, endorsed the motion of the competition between the districts, whipping these ministers into a activity through competition. Thus, you must assume that all of the ministers are also carnal. And I said, I will admit that I am more carnal than I want to be, but God knows I don't want carnality. I want to be spiritual and walk after the Spirit. And so we parted, and as I was praying over the thing, saying, God, I don't want to be a rebel, and I don't want to be in that position of being classified a rebel. You know that I'm not rebelling against you. You know that I'm seeking a spiritual walk and a spiritual life. I just want to walk with you, Lord. And the Lord spoke to my heart in a very special way, and he gave me the scripture, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. That's all I need. At the end of this contest period, we received an interesting telegram that said, congratulations, your church won first place <laughs> in the Class A division. And come to a combined rally of the two districts and pick up a trophy and so forth. And take 20 minutes on the program to explain, you know, all that you did to motivate your people. <laughs> and I had to write back to them and decline the trophy and decline the position. And I said it would be embarrassing to bring a trophy in. The people never knew there was a contest going on. But the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Naturally, I couldn't stay with the denomination much longer. But I will confess that I have been guilty of, in the early ministry, in the early years of ministry, of motivating people to carnal works through carnality, dividing the church into the reds and the blues, giving away bicycles and giant lollipops and beach balls and the whole thing, you know, to, to try to motivate people to work for God through carnal motivation. But God does not recognize the works of our flesh, doesn't even acknowledge them. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. God doesn't even recognize Ishmael, the work of the flesh. In another way, that's sort of a glorious saying that God doesn't recognize the works of my flesh. I'm glad he doesn't. In my flesh, I've done some pretty lousy things. And I'm glad that God doesn't acknowledge those works of my flesh. Take now thy son, thine only son. Of course, it brings us to the New Testament. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And you can only understand the 22nd chapter of Genesis as you compare it with the New Testament and God giving his only begotten son. Here Abraham is called to do what God later did in giving his son his only begotten son, as a sacrifice. And take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, 
get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him of. Notice the repetition of the word and. Uh, it is a form of Hebrew grammar known as a polysyndodon which speaks of a continued deliberate action. In other words, no hesitation. Notice Abraham rose up early in the morning, the immediate obedience to God. There wasn't any hesitation. And the implication of this polysyndodon is that his actions now are deliberate and willful and, and, and continued. There is no stopping, no hesitation in obedience to the command of God. And on the third day, significant, third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. For Isaac was dead in the mind of Abraham for these three days. And yet, though he was dead in the mind of Abraham, somehow Abraham was believing in the resurrection. Now, Paul said, the gospel that I preached, how that Jesus died according to the Scriptures and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I can give you plenty of Scriptures in the Old Testament that speak of the death of Jesus Christ. But where in the Old Testament do you find the Scriptures speaking of his death? being dead for three days and rising again. Here it is. Now Abraham, by faith, offered Isaac as a sacrifice unto God, believing that God would, if necessary, raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise, for God had said, through Isaac shall thy seed be called. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, speaking of Abraham's faith in this test. You see, Abraham had a promise of God. The promise of God was this, through Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now Isaac did not have any children yet. He was not married yet. But Abraham knew that God's word had to be fulfilled. He had that kind of confidence in the word of God. If God said it, God is going to do it. And having that confidence that God would keep his word when God called upon him to make the sacrifice of his son, he knew that somehow Isaac would be raised from the dead if necessary because God's word had to be fulfilled through Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so because of the promise that through Isaac his seed was to be called, he was obedient to the call of God to offer now his son, his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering on the mountain that God would show him. And so he got together the altar, the, uh, the, the wood and the uh, materials for the altar and the servants, and they journeyed for three days until they came to the place that God showed to him. And now again, in verse 5, the use of this Hebrew grammar again, the polysyndodon, the repetition of, of the ands. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, we'll go yonder and worship and come again. The two verbs are associated with the nouns I and the lad. So that Abraham is saying, I and the lad are going to go, we're going to worship, and we're going to come again. 
He's declaring that Isaac is going to come again with him. Isaac's coming back. I and the lad are going to go and worship and will come again. Confidence in the promise of God that through Isaac shall his seed be called. And so notice verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. A picture of Christ who bore his own cross. They laid the cross upon him, and he bore his own cross. So he put the wood on Isaac, and Isaac was carrying the wood. And it, it is at this point, he took the fire and the knife in his hand, and they journeyed both of them together, and Isaac broke the silence. He said to his father, Father? And Abraham said, What do you want, son? And he said, Here's the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. What a beautiful prophecy. God will provide not for himself a lamb, but God will provide himself a lamb. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And here Abraham is pro prophesying the fact that God is going to provide himself as a lamb for the burnt offering. The prophecy of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, who was offered as a sacrifice for man's sins. So they journeyed, both of them, together. Now, don't let the term lad confuse you. This term lad is used for an unmarried man. Till you were married, you were still a lad. So Isaac at this point was probably 25, 26 years old. The word is translated actually young men in other places. And it doesn't mean a little child of six or seven. Isaac could at this time, because of his age and physical maturity and because of the age of his father, who at this point was nearing 130, he could have overpowered Abraham. When Abraham decided to start to tie him and lay him on the altar, he said, hey, what's going on here? I'm getting senile, Dad. It's far enough. And he could have overpowered his dad. But he was obedient unto the call of God upon his father's heart, submitting. Even as Jesus could have escaped the cross, when Peter drew the sword and began to strike out against the soldiers and the servants that had come to take Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, put away thy sword, Peter. Don't you realize that at this moment I could call 10,000 angels to deliver me? One angel went through the camp of the Assyrians and wiped out 185,000 in one night. Imagine what 10,000 could do. But Jesus was obedient unto death even the death of the cross, submitting to the will of the Father. For he prayed, Father, not my will, thy will be done. And thus submitting himself to the will of the Father, even as Isaac was submitting unto the will of his father Abraham. 
So interesting picture all the way through. Abraham, he came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built the altar there, and they laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, or Jehovah sees, literally. It has come to be interpreted Jehovah provides. But literally in the Hebrew it is Jehovah sees. But with God there is very little difference between vision and provision. God sees. Jesus said over and over, I know thy works. God sees. God sees your need. God sees your heart. God sees the problems that you're facing. God sees the tests you're going through. And because God sees, he provides. Jehovah-Jireh. And as said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So they started saying, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Mount Moriah in 2 Chronicles, the second chapter, and so Solomon began to build the temple in Mount Moriah. And so the place where the sacrifices were to be offered through the history of the nation is the same place where Abraham, the same mountain where Abraham was offering the sacrifice of his son. But the prophecy was the Lord will provide himself and then in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And so it is significant that when Jesus was crucified, they led him out of the city to a place called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. And today if you go to Jerusalem and you stand there in the garden tomb just above the Arab bus depot and you look to the left there on the face of the mountain, you distinctly see the impression of the skull there on the mountain. But it's standing there, look over to your right and look at the city wall near Herod's gate and you'll see that the wall has been built up over the mountain, over the bedrock. And that this valley where the bus stop is has actually been quarried out. And that the mountain that you see on the right on the walls of, where the walls of Jerusalem are built over were actually once a continuation of this same mountain and that the top of the mountain is to your left where the skull is. Now going on the other side and following the topography, you see that this mountain slopes right on down to the Temple Mount, the place of the sacrifices, or Mount Moriah. So really, the place of the crucifixion, Golgotha, was the top of Mount Moriah. 
There are several mountains around Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus, but the most important was Mount Moriah, and Mount Moriah crested above the area where the skull is, the place where Jesus was crucified. Abraham no doubt took Isaac to the top of the mountain because usually when they would build their altars, they would build them right at the top of the mountain. And so at the very spot where Abraham built the altar in obedience to God and he prophesied God will provide himself a lamb and the people picked it up and said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. 2,000 years later, God provided himself a lamb for a burnt offering. It was seen for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And in the very spot where Abraham built his altar, the cross of Christ was placed as God gave his only begotten son because he loved the world. And so we have that beautiful picture here in the Old Testament as Abraham was acting out a drama that would later on in history become a reality where God gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 22 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord keep his hand upon your life. And may he open up your heart and your mind and your understanding to the things of the Spirit. And thus, may you live in that place where God can bless you as he desires to bless you. May you keep yourself in the love of God as you walk in fellowship with him this week. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. 
I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking. And are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.